0: An animal stuck in a cage and I'm ready to break out. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race in the top. to do this, show you what the truth is. I step on the field, it's time to get real. I'm feeling so ruthless. Hey guys, Jamie here and welcome to another awesome episode of Mindset with Muscle. Now, I've got something really special for you over the next few weeks. I was clearing my computer out a little bit and I stumbled across the audiobook from my best selling book, Mindset with Muscle. Now, you can download and listen to the audiobook on Audible. However, I thought I'd be really, really nice and give away the entire book for free. Yep, I'm going to be giving away the entire book over the next few weeks for free. And it's kind of Adding my one chapter a day analogy, but what you're going to be enjoying is one chapter of my book a week. And this episode is going to be covering the introduction of my book and the first chapter. Next week will be chapter two, next week will be chapter three, and so on. So I really hope you enjoy the next few weeks and I'll be really happy in the knowledge that everyone who listens to this podcast will have also listened to my entire Mindset with Muscle book. Anyway, I'm going to pass you over to the audio version of Mindset with Muscle. Enjoy this introduction and chapter one. Introduction. My story. The signs weren't promising. At school, I'd always had a very short attention span. During my teenage years, I definitely needed guidance and support, as what I mostly enjoyed was alcohol and just not really doing anything productive. In fact, I wouldn't concentrate on anything I didn't want to do, and I'd only really focus on the things that I enjoyed. I have to say, I think this applies to a lot of grown-ups today, in that there's a huge disconnect between the things we do on a daily basis and the things that we need to do. So many people are in jobs they hate and spend all day doing things they don't like doing. This, in turn, is one of the reasons that they don't excel at their jobs. It's really hard to progress with things that you hate doing. But I had always enjoyed going to the gym, and I'd been going during my lunch hour since the age of 13. This was probably the best thing for a kid as hyperactive and as easily bored as me, enabling me to channel some of my surplus energy and to focus on something other than getting in trouble. Going into the army had always crossed my mind, but it wasn't until I was 17 that I thought that unless I made a commitment to it, I was probably going to end up in prison sometime in the next few years. So joining up became something of a no-brainer. I found I enjoyed army life. It was pretty straightforward. Look after your kit and it will look after you. Preparation is the key to success, so you need to make sure that you are aware of what's going on and have everything for the job in hand with you at all times. If someone tells you to do something, you don't argue. You just get it done. I'm the polar opposite of that now as I hate being told what to do. All in all, I felt I had a purpose in life, and I was proud to be a soldier. I was part of something important, and I was always as pleased as punch to tell people about my career choice. I gained a wide range of skills in the army, qualifying as a communications expert on long- and short-range radio equipment and ground-to-air radio communications with helicopters. I had always prided myself on being the best soldier. Fit as a fiddle, kit always immaculate, a hard-working individual who always used to impress his peers. What a change from the shiftless teenager I had once been. As the years went by, though, I started to feel there was more to life than the army. It was great being part of something bigger than myself, but I was becoming more and more unimpressed with the whole experience. Not having a voice of my own and being controlled by power-hungry senior ranks. I'd always said to myself that as soon as I stopped enjoying it, I would leave. And at around the age of 23, I gave him my year's notice, excited at the prospect of moving on to pastures new. A new start Leaving the army began a period of soul-searching. Having spent seven years in the army, being told what to do and getting on with doing it was kind of ingrained in me. Now, there was no longer a sergeant shouting down my neck. I needed some focus and some goals. Yet I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And no immediate career prospects beckoned. So when the owner of my gym approached me and suggested I have a go at bodybuilding, I jumped at the opportunity. At last, I'd found something that really started to float my boat. Here was the imaginary sergeant I needed, telling me to cook healthy meals, hit the gym, and prepare for a contest. It was this structure that gave me vision and focus in life. I had a great first year competing. I did three shows. Coming second in one and winning the British Amateur title in another. To say that I took to it like a duck to water would be an understatement. It was so easy for me to adapt what I had learned in the military to support my competition career just by having a plan of action. I gave up competition a year later as I was offered a fantastic opportunity to do some contract work in the Middle East, Kenya and Somalia. It was well-paid work in security and administration. And the prospect of exploring more of the world and experiencing different cultures and communities made up for the fact that I would no longer be able to commit to competitions. So this was my life for almost a year. But though I loved to travel and the income, I felt there was something lacking in my life as I knew I couldn't keep on doing it forever. Then, something happened. I landed in Nairobi one day and headed into the office, where I received a call from my boss at head office in London. They had been making some budget cuts and removing some of the non-essential staff from the projects they were on. Unfortunately, my services were no longer required. The first thing that came into my head was, couldn't you have told me this nine hours ago when I was still in London? The second thing that came into my head was that I would just put all of my savings from the contract job towards a very nice three-storey house, so there was nothing left. I remember going back to the UK wondering, what on earth was I going to do for a job? As seriously, I didn't have a clue. I must have applied for and been interviewed for at least 10 different jobs in the two weeks after I returned to London. Each time I was unsuccessful and it was really starting to get me down. I remember sitting on the bed waiting for a phone call from one particular employer about a job as manager of a steelworks and it was between me and another guy. The phone rang, the other guy had got the job. I put the phone down and carried on sitting on my bed, racking my brains about what I should do. Then I started doing something that I'd never really done before. My brain was so clogged up with ideas and questions that I decided to grab a pen and paper and write stuff down. I started to write down the stuff that I was good at, the things that I enjoyed and the things that I could be really good at. Then I realised the answer to my problem was just staring me in the face. I loved my training, nutrition and workouts and I loved helping people. Obviously, I should become a personal trainer. But there was another big problem. I had no money. I did have a credit card, however. I decided that if I was going to do this, there would be no half measures. I would commit totally and work my ass off to make happen whatever needed to happen. I stuck the fees for the personal training certification course onto my credit card and completed it. I began renting a studio local to my house and filled it with gym equipment. Again, putting everything on my credit card. Now I had a studio, a business and a vision – and I started to get to work. I had always wanted to train clients somewhat differently from the way I had seen other people doing it. None of the trainers I had seen ever really covered any elements outside the weights room, such as diet and mindset. So this was something I really started to focus on with my clients. It was all well and good, them putting in that hour in the gym, but what were they doing with the other 23 hours? I made it my mission to go above and beyond the usual service with my clients. I attracted my first clients by advertising my services on social media, putting it all out there, my studio, my exercise regime, my diet. I would even travel up to London to meet my clients. I'd sit in a cafe in Oxford Street every Saturday morning to do diet consultations as it had free Wi-Fi. But there was one thing I realised that I missed, and that was competing. This is why, back in 2012, not only was I working hard to get the new business off the ground, but I was also committed to getting back on stage to compete in the European Championships in Iceland at the end of the year. I gave myself 12 weeks to get ready, working intensively both on my physique and on my business. The hard work and sacrifice paid off. I won the European Championships and became a professional competitor. Then something strange happened. My business went through the roof and I acquired a full book of clients. I thought this was to do with my now being a professional competitor, but it wasn't. It was because I had documented my entire journey to the stage during my 12 weeks of preparation. People were interested in me as a person, not just in the products that I was selling. And that's when my business really started to change. I understood that I could reach and inspire so many more people just by being me and telling it like it is. Not necessarily telling them what to do, but rather showing them what I do so that they could see that if they took these activities on board and practiced them every day, they too would be able to see the benefits. This has transformed my business over the past few years and, to be honest, it's transformed me as well. I used to put in front of people only what I thought they wanted to see and gave away very little about my own life. In effect, people only saw the tip of the iceberg and didn't realise that this success came from everything that was going on below the waterline. This was a very strange period in the development of my business because there weren't many people doing what I did. Being open and honest and telling the unvarnished truth. However, that all changed in the second year of my business when Gary Vaynerchuk came into my life. Gary had built two multi-million dollar businesses and had done so through integrity and hard work. What really inspired me about him was his no-bullshit attitude and his brutal honesty rare qualities in a world of smoke and mirrors. The more I put my life and my business on show, the more interest built up and the comments I was getting were really refreshing. I started to use social media more and more, not only to promote myself but to build my business and reach more people. I started doing more video. I discovered that I really enjoyed talking on camera so I increased the amount I was doing every day. People responded well to my no-nonsense attitude and they began to realise that you could be busy, run your businesses and still get the results you want at the gym as long as you work hard and stay consistent. The message I have always stressed is that you should know your strengths and capitalise on them and know your weaknesses and find ways to turn them into strengths either by hiring people who excel in those areas to fill these gaps or by working twice as hard on them till they are no longer weaknesses. I branched out focusing on nutrition and training, writing my own plans to show people what they could achieve and transforming thousands of my clients in the process. I also started listening to podcasts and realised the mental benefit from listening to and absorbing the information to be had. I just knew I had to create my own podcast, which I did, and it became the number one health podcast in the UK. Then, about three years ago, I really started getting into books. And this too has transformed my business and my life. All this has brought me to where I am today with my business and explains why I felt compelled to write Mindset with Muscle. Transforming yourself and your mindset. This book is a transformation plan for your success. The way I've structured and written this book is designed to make it action focused. The whole point is to get you to do the exercises and activities that will bring about change in your life. As I see it, There is a huge problem with the way people handle information in our society. They buy the books, read the magazines and watch the how-to videos. But they fail to put into practice any of the things they have learnt. I know so many people who have read exactly the same books as me, but they haven't improved their lives, increased their fitness or grown their businesses. It's all well and good knowing what to do, but there's actually little point in knowing it unless you do something about it. What's different about this book is that at the end of every chapter, I summarise the key points you need to take away from it and the actions you need to take and ask you to tweet me once you have completed the actions. This will ensure not only that you are implementing the right things, but there is also a mechanism for you to hold yourself accountable for getting things done. There are a number of ways in which people go wrong with their reading. They read the material from the author's point of view, rather than considering how it applies to their own lives. They don't teach or tell others what they have learned, which is a fantastic way to help you recall information. They don't act on the information that they read. They don't build any accountability into acting on what they've read by setting deadlines for particular tasks or activities. To make sure that you can listen to this book constructively and get results from it, it's going to follow a very logical plan. 1. Together we'll start at the beginning, by getting you to define what the problem is before you rush off and start trying to fix it. 2. Then we'll break down the things you need to acknowledge and understand in order to begin to change and progress in your transformation. 3. Finally, we'll start to change your way of thinking so that you become someone who takes action and holds themselves responsible for the actions that they take. Is this going to be a perfect process? Hell no! Our habits and routines come and go and take many years to evolve. As human beings, we change our minds and our lives all the time and what's relevant to us now may no longer be so in a few months' time. But it's vital to understand that this is okay and that there is a difference between failing and failure as one of the lists I wrote for myself sums up. Failing, part of the process, helps with experience, gives you feedback, helps you to grow Helps you to learn more Failure Given up Accepted defeat Negative mindset Doesn't help you grow You learn nothing We learn by making mistakes because we learn what not to do But we can learn a lot quicker from other people's mistakes Since we don't need to repeat them ourselves This is what I want this book to be about Showing you the path to the success by revealing to you my own path to success via failing Chapter 1 defining the problem. Did you know that our brains produce as much as 50,000 thoughts a day? This is an average of men's 40,000 thoughts and women's 60,000. Now, I want you to think about the kind of things that you think about each day. Mostly, it's probably what to wear, what to eat, what to listen to, and so on. But with 50,000 thoughts flying around in your head every day, it can be difficult to focus on which of them are actually going to make a difference in your life. There's a risk that the ones we choose to focus on will not actually benefit us in any way. We are used to thinking our way through problems and finding solutions, but how often do we question our thought processes, why we think the way we do, and whether the solutions we choose from our multitude of thoughts are the right ones? What do you really want? Take the example of someone who is overweight they will be driven to find a solution to the problem by thinking it through. And it's likely that their thoughts will focus on what they eat and mechanisms for shedding the weight. To help them do that, they may look to buy some sort of guide to the best solution from a bookshop or off the internet in the hope that that will be the answer to their problem. But nine times out of ten, it isn't. This is because they are looking for the solution without having understood the problem. The problem isn't that they need to lose 20 pounds. The problem is that they don't know why they are 20 pounds overweight. And this is where the hard work really starts. With 50,000 thoughts to sift through every day, it's hard for anyone to pinpoint why they've got to where they are now. We are the best liars in the world when it comes to our own thoughts and choices. After all, we're the only people we need to convince about whether a particular course of action is right or wrong, and we're inclined to believe ourselves. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, You're right, Henry Ford. If people were really honest with themselves, they'd realise that they're actually looking for a solution to their problems that doesn't involve much change, that allows them to keep their current bad habits and routines and still achieve the results they're after. It can't be done. Your problem starts with being honest with yourself. You are where you are today as a result of the decisions that you have made about yourself and the way you live. You can lay the blame on others. My parents were both overweight. And you can talk about how tough it's been for you in the hope that people will understand and empathise. But if you think that you're the only one with that particular problem out of a world population of 7.1 billion people, then you are sadly mistaken. So what you also need to realise is that there are thousands, if not millions, out there with the same problem as you. Some of whom choose to accept it and some of whom don't. Just because you haven't met them doesn't mean that they don't exist. At the heart of your problem, though, is that what you want actually goes beyond what you think you want. When I ask them why they want to be slimmer, a lot of people will say, I'll feel better. When I ask clients what they mean by that, it's usually that they feel they'll have more energy, focus and confidence. My answer to that is that they need to focus on being that person now. Reducing their gravitational pull to the earth will not on its own change their brains. The confidence that apparently comes from being slimmer is in effect a byproduct, not of being slimmer, but of having set a goal, planned how to go about achieving it, and having succeeded in achieving it. Achievers are the most confident people in the world, and the reason they achieve so much is because they break things down into manageable goals and reverse engineer things, working backwards from where they know they want to be. Unfortunately, most of us are very impulse-driven. I want to be £10 lighter, we say, and we're off. This enthusiasm can be a huge asset, but it only gets you so far. You risk just getting your head down and proceeding off down any old path. I know this because it's exactly what I did myself. I went off down the wrong path all the time, but I didn't stop. Then I found a new path, and I went down that one. But it turned out to be wrong, so I went down another one, and so on. It was only because the army had disciplined me not to give up that I persisted until I found the right path. But not everyone has been trained in this way, so it's better if they have a good understanding of the problem, and of how they may have been failing to resolve it before, and a detailed plan of action, a route map, to keep them on track. Bearing mind that if you are listening to this book, you probably have the luxury of having a roof over your head and food in the fridge. This means that you almost certainly have enough control over your own life to make decisions about it and act on them. For a start, one of the 50,000 thoughts running through your head was the decision to buy this book. Other decisions from this teeming pool of thoughts will have governed whether you exercised a day and how well you ate. These choices are being offered to you constantly. All you need to do is understand them better so you can change your life. And it all starts with writing them down. Writing it all down Be honest, what was the last thing you wrote down? A shopping list? You knew what you needed Your list gave you a plan of action And once you went to the supermarket you were able to tick off the items as you put them in your basket Writing things down is one of the easiest things that people can do And yet it is a vastly underused resource It's like any other activity You have to build up a habit of writing, incorporating it into your routine There are different ways to write things down, and different reasons for doing so. Articulating feelings, defining goals, setting out problems, working out solutions, and clearing your head. The first time I wrote down something that had a major impact on my life was when I was made redundant, and I did it because I'd been left with no choice but to try to figure out what to do next. What writing things down showed me very clearly was that I had not been honest with myself about what I wanted in life. When I left the army, we were given what's called enhanced learning credits. In effect, several thousand pounds to help you choose and train for a new career outside of the military. I wasted those credits. The course I chose and the career path I opted to go down were based on one thing only. Money. I was looking at the highest paid jobs and focused on getting qualified to do them. On the assumption that earning the amounts of money these jobs brought in would make me happy. But there was one problem. The qualifications and the jobs were well out of my comfort zone and I really struggled to master the knowledge that I would need in order to get a job in that industry. Advanced IT networks were just not for me. I nearly made the same mistake again when I was made redundant from my post-army consultancy work. I searched for the jobs with the highest pay and if I had found one, what would have happened next? I certainly wouldn't have found the real solution to my problem. Now that I began to write things down, the solution to my problem was staring me in the face. I love fitness. I love training. I love helping people. I should be a personal trainer. Once I'd written this down, I started to write everything down. Everything to do with fitness, my feelings, business and, well, life. And that's when my world started to change. I became more honest with myself about what it was that I actually wanted to do Writing cleared my head of all the confusion and helped me to identify the things I really needed to do and those I didn't need to do The use of writing to plan One of the biggest things I've learned from writing things down is how to be more productive when you are apparently busy The problem with busy people is that they are always busy and they have a lot of things to get done in a day But what makes them even busier than they need to be is that they fail to plan out their day and allocate time for the tasks that they need to achieve. Half the time they're so busy thinking about all the things that they need to get done that they don't actually do any of them. The classic paralysis by analysis. When they write things down though, they realise they're not as busy as they thought they were. Or they are busy, but they're less stressed because now they know that all their tasks have been allocated some time. Writing down your day also enables you to allocate time not only for tasks you need to achieve, but for activities that you enjoy. Here is a typical day for me, as written down. 5.45am, wake up. 6am to 7.15, power walk, usually listening to an audiobook or podcasts. 7.15 to 7.30, mapping out my day in my diary. 7.30am to 7.45, social media posts. 7.45 to 8.15 a.m. Breakfast and YouTube videos. 8.45 a.m. till 10.45 a.m. Gym. 11.00 a.m. till 12.00 p.m. Skype meetings. 12.00 p.m. till 12.30 p.m. Lunch and YouTube videos. 12.30 p.m. till 2.00 p.m. Emails and social media posts. 2.00 p.m. till 2.30 p.m. Reading for 30 minutes. 2.30 p.m. till 4.30 p.m. Podcast guest, emails and social media. 4.40pm till 6.30pm, time with my daughter Eliza. 6.30pm till 8pm, catch-ups and emails plus social media. 8pm till 9pm, dinner and TV. 9pm till 10pm, one episode of a TV series. 10.30pm, bed. As you can see, I've allocated time for everything that needs to be done, but I've also factored in times for things I enjoy doing, like reading and spending time with my daughter. Because those things are on my list, doing them also feels like an achievement, even though they are non-work activities that I really enjoy and that benefit all the family. In effect, I'm setting myself up to win by ensuring that I build in activities that help me to deal with stress. You can't be productive if you're stressed, which means that the positive knock-on effect of planning out your day are phenomenal. Writing as a valuable reference What you've written down can be a lasting and valuable resource If I remember that I've come across a particular problem before I can look back to see what I did to resolve it previously Similarly, when I'm training for a competition I log my weight every single day and record what I've eaten And the amount of exercise I've taken And I draw on this information the next time I'm preparing for an event Whether you keep a physical journal or a digital journal Having that data to hand is so important. Over the longer term, journaling and writing things down can offer you concrete proof of the progress you've made. If you feel you've come to a bit of a standstill, you need only look back at what you have documented over previous years and months to see what you have achieved. And the boost you get from that will motivate you to persevere. I see this a lot in the context of weight loss. People come to me and say, I'm still overweight or I'm still a stone away from my goal and I'll have to point out to them that they've already lost two stone and remind them, with a picture, of where they started from. They're often genuinely surprised, as they've forgotten what they were like six months previously. It really fires them up to continue with their plans. Adding value As well as writing, I've done a lot of listening, and it was through this that I gained the insight that whether the problem was weight loss or fitness or building a business, you needed to have a well-rounded... As opposed to a narrow understanding of it My view is that this is what happens when you turn your hobby and your passion into a business You go the extra mile without even being aware that you're doing so I like talking as well as listening So I've never been backwards in pointing out to people where they are going wrong And what they could do to remedy it It never occurred to me at first to turn this into a business Although I was often brutally honest with my clients at the gym They trusted me I might not have had the sports science degree, but I had immense practical experience, and I drew on that rather than on textbooks to advise them. What's more, people are more motivated by seeing what someone who is just like them can achieve. I go down to the pub. I've been to the same sort of schools as a lot of my clients. I'm a normal person. Just add a good work ethic and a consistent approach, and you too can achieve your goals. That was a very engaging message for my clients and potential clients. And if people believe what you say, they will be prepared to buy what you sell. I now sell a lot of different products, but most of them are based on asking people the right questions. Not least, what are you struggling with? And then creating a product that provides a solution, rather than sitting in a bubble, thinking up things I could offer, and planning how to market them. I worked this out for myself and, as with so many things, it was not until a lot later that I came across the books that endorsed this approach. In fact, I see this a lot in business. I see people doing great things and they've never read a business book in their lives. The reason that they're so successful is because they're just good people. They genuinely care about others and want good things for them, which in turn helps grow their business because they're nice people to be around. They make you happy and they inspire and motivate you. I'd contrast that approach with much of what goes on in the fitness industry. Where people are just focused on trying to find very, very key, minimal things that they can do to get results. If you eat this food, you will lose weight. If you train this particular way, you will lose weight. Which may get very short-term results, but unless you're focusing on your habits, your routines, and the way that you live your life, you're not going to have a sustainable transformation. The long game. The discipline required when it comes to nutrition and training for competition is exactly like that required for building a business. A lot of it just comes down to sticking to the principles and the plan and being consistent. No successful business has ever become successful overnight. It's taken many, many hours and many, many months and years of consistent habits of doing the same productive activities over and over again. A lot of people like to try and make it all sexy, full of variety and fun. The reality is that a lot of it isn't. Most businesses are built on consistency, on being able to provide the same level of service or quality of product day in, day out. It's repetition, exactly the same as nutrition and training. Unfortunately, people get very bored very easily, which is something that I try and focus on with them. They need to realise that most of the time it's just a case of turning up and doing it every day and not thinking, how much longer have I got of this? In my own case, I simply applied to my business the same principles I adopted with my nutrition and training. Just as I log my food intake, I log the people I've spoken to in their particular interests, I log emails, identify follow-ups to pursue, and I build a strategy from all this. If you have a passion for your business, these habits and routines will never be tiresome or oppressive for you. Context One of the most important elements of your potential to solve your problems and develop a resilient and constructive mindset is the context that you are operating in. Personally, I have been very fortunate in having the self-discipline that the army instilled in me to support me in developing both my fitness regime and my business. Most people don't have that, so instead they need ideally to be in an environment that makes it easy to keep consistent habits and to put in the work required. This doesn't mean, for example, that you can never go out for a drink with friends. You just have to maintain a determined mindset when you do so. My own informal research in this area has confirmed that this pays off. Occasionally, I do go to bars with the lads, and sooner or later, after a few drinks, they get the shots in. I always turn shots down, and they always turn to me and say, go on Jay, just one shot. It's a herd mentality, but I never give in to that peer pressure. However, much like when they take the mickey out of me, what I do is wait 10 minutes, and then turn to the person who was egging me on the most energetically, and ask, are you still annoyed with me for not having a shot? often as not, they'll ask me what I'm on about because although it seemed like the most important thing at the time, now they really don't care. But beware of surrounding yourself only with successful people because that won't necessarily enable you to empathise and understand other people's situations. It's hard to overstate how important it is to engage with people, to understand where they're coming from and how you'll be able to help them and don't assume that you'll be able to help everybody. You're bound to come across people with a very negative mindset And although you might not want to spend a great deal of time in their company, you owe it to yourself and them to gain insight into why they are like this and what you can draw from it. But before we move on to creating the right context for adapting your habits and routines, here's a summary and your challenge for this chapter. Summary Make sure you define your problem accurately. Dig deep and don't just accept it at face value. What's really going on? Write things down. Is the foundation for reflection, planning, analysis and tracking your progress. Make what you have to offer people genuine and personal. Find out their needs and above all, be consistent. Make things easy for yourself by seeking out like-minded colleagues and companions. But engage with and listen to all your contacts. Everyone has something to teach you. My challenge. Get up half an hour earlier. Go for a walk. And think about your situation Once you have thought about it Write down what you're not happy about What are you going to do about it? What you need to do now is tweet me At Grenade J To tell me what you're going to do about it Instant accountability None of you people can tell me this. Lower the lights down Hand over my crown Hand over my heart I do this for my town I do this for my crowd So turn me up real loud